Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. I hope you've been getting something out of this series that we have been in on Hebrews. How many have been doing the reading every week and you're into it and you're just rereading it over and over and maybe you're, uh, you're uh, even uh, 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 talking about it with other people that have read it or talking with a spouse or maybe with your kids. But I, I want to encourage you to keep reading it. If you, have, if you haven't got a book, um, do we still have some left, Pastor Jared? If you need a book, um, we have a little study guide to go along with this series. And if you haven't got one, just see Pastor Jared after church or check in the office. I think we got them in there, but we'd love for you to have one. Um, Anyway, uh, yeah, just reading it over and over, letting, meditating on it, letting it sink in. Because how many know that sometimes when you read the Bible, you get into it and you're like, what did I just read? After you read like a half hour or 15 minutes, you're like, what did I just read? I don't even know what I read. What's the point? That happens to a lot of Christians. And we don't want that to be the case, especially during this series. And so I uh, just want to encourage you to, uh, to, to get in there, read. Get, get your fire Bibles out. How many have a fire Bible? great Bible to get. You can get them at our bookstore. We don't make any, really any money on them at all. We just cover shipping in the, in the Bible. We can just get them for you, but we love to offer those uh, to you as well so that you have a way to, to study more deeply, and um, those fire Bibles are wonderful as far as the study notes go, and, and in Hebrews, there's just tons of great notes. Uh, even if you're just reading, the, doing the reading plan, the book of Hebrews is packed with so much truth. Um, maybe you didn't hit every service, and, and you know we're not going to beat you up for that, but uh, at least get in the Word and read the Word. That's the thing that will change you. And I wondered, have you just noticed how many of these scriptures within the book kind of just jump out off the page at you? I mean, verses that we've either memorized or at least highlighted in our Bibles. And uh, I, I just wanted to go over a few of them that we've read so far that jumped off the page for me. I'm just going to read them. I'm not going to talk about them too much. But Hebrews 1.3 was one that just got me. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. And then Hebrews 2, 1 through 3a, for this reason we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away or fall away, some versions say, for if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Man, I got that one underlined in my Bible. I've got it underlined and highlighted and everything else. Don't neglect the salvation. Hebrews 3.12, be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. Hebrews 3.13, encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today so that you, none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. These are verses that are like power-packed. Power-packed verses. Anybody awake in here this morning? All right, these are power-packed verses. Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I would have loved to do a sermon on that verse. I, I debated whether I should, but um, just getting through this in eight weeks, you can't hit all these. They're all so good. There's enough in Hebrews for me to preach a year, Honestly to preach a year, and probably even more than that, because once you preach a year of it, you'd be like, wow, I'm just getting started. The word of God is so incredible that way because you can never reach the depth of its truth. That's why we gotta get in it, it's exciting, and the more you get in it, the more you'll realize that. And I hope that you're not only highlighting and underlining in your Bibles, but if, you're, if you use version, that you're using the highlight uh, uh, tool that's on version. You can highlight, you can keep notes right in version. Some of you might not even know that, but do that. Keep notes and, and highlight that stuff right in your version on your phone. Um, I wanna give you a quick review or outline of what we read in Hebrews thus far. I'm gonna read chapters one through seven to you. Just, no, I'm not. Um, just seeing if you're awake. Uh, I just want to give you a little bit of an outline uh, of what we've covered so far, really quick. The writer starts right in without any pleasantries. You might have remembered that. He doesn't say, hey, say hi to this person, this person, and well, you know, so good to write to you. Nothing like that. He just jumps right in, and he says, God's talked to us in many ways in the past, but now he's talked to us in the way that is far greater than the rest. He has spoken through his son, Jesus Christ. And then he goes into... Jesus is greater than the prophets, and Jesus is greater than the angels, and 
Then he jumps from that into a warning about neglecting our salvation. Then he goes back into continuation of how Jesus is greater than the angels. Then he talks about how Jesus is greater than Moses. And then he gets into a warning against unbelief and apostasy. So it's like he's saying, Jesus is greater than, Jesus is greater than, Jesus is greater than, and then he pounds them over the head with a warning. And they're stern warnings. Some of the sternest language in the whole New Testament. Then he goes back into how Jesus is greater than Joshua. And the theme is, is, is kind of coming to the surface here. It's that Jesus is greater than anything and everything connected to the Old Covenant. And we talked about the Old Covenant and what that meant. He represents, Jesus represents the New Covenant. He is, he found, it's founded upon him. He did not do away with the Old Covenant. He fulfilled the Old by giving us the New. Religion was exchanged for relationship. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm so glad that religion was exchanged for relationship. Because no longer was it just a list of duties and things you should do and shouldn't do. No longer was this this connection with God all about this, this list of do's and don'ts. It was about having a relationship with him that was personal and real. In this week's reading, we are introduced to the idea that Jesus is our high priest and that he is greater than the priesthood of the old covenant often referred to as the Levitical priesthood. And again, this is, this is kind of where I want to camp out this morning. I, I want to camp out on this priesthood thing. Um, and uh, for, first of all, what is meant by the word priest as it's used in the Old and New Testaments of the Bible? And we're going to get into this a little bit. Uh, the first time we ever see the word priest used in the Bible is in reference to the person of Melchizedek. Everybody say Melchizedek. Now you know how to say his name, Melchizedek. In Genesis chapter 14, first time we see the word priest used. And just to give you some setting to this, Abram, who would later have his name changed to Abraham by God, Abram meant exalted father. Abraham means father of multitudes. Okay, you can write that down in your notes. That's why God changed his name. Exalted father to father of multitudes. And we know Abraham's descendants were as numerous as the sands on the seashore and uh, as many as the stars in heaven. They, they were beyond uh, count later. But at this moment, Abram had not had a son yet. He had received his calling from God to go to a land in which he would be shown. And Abram, in the process of all this, became very wealthy with livestock, silver, and gold. Abraham just, he, he just left, and he was the most faithful man. If you're talking faith, you can't talk faith in the word of God without bringing up Abraham, because he's the most faithful man who ever lived. He was full of faith. He knew how to step out on the water, so to speak. God said, go. I'm not going to tell you where, you where you're going, but I want you to go. So he left, and he went. Full of faith, Abram was. And his name would later be Abraham. So when I, if I inadvertently interchange those names, I apologize. But God kept blessing him because of his faith. So much, in fact, that he and his nephew Lot, they decided to part company because the land they were in couldn't support their livestock. Can you imagine? Can you imagine having so much wealth that the land itself couldn't support your wealth? Abram's Entourage was probably around a thousand people by this time, and this would have been included as herdsmen and their families and all those that were traveling with Abram, although God, again, had not given him and Sarai a child as of yet. Her name would be changed to Sarah later. There were many kings that lived in the lands that Abraham was in and journeying through, and, and at one point, four kings, I'm gonna just break this down really easy in Genesis, because it, it gets really confusing as you read it. This is one of those parts of scripture you gotta read 10 times and read it very slow, if you're me. Read it very slow. Maybe even draw it in crayon, and then even then it might be hard to understand. Because there's a lot of names, there's a lot of things going on, but in this portion of scripture, there, there were many kings that lived in the land, and at at one point, four kings came against five different kings, and they name them all, and it gets kind of confusing. One of those five kings that, that the four kings were coming against was Bera, king of Sodom. These five kings were defeated, and their kingdoms were plundered. 
Their wealth as well as their people were taken. When Abram heard of this, he took some of his men, 318 of them to be exact, and he went and defeated these kings because his nephew Lot had been living in Sodom. So he, basically Abram heard, hey, these four kings beat these five kings. My, my nephew lives in a place where one of the five kings uh, w- was defeated, and so I need to go, and he was hauled off, so I need to go rescue my nephew, right, from these four kings. And so he goes with 318 men. He defeats those five kings. Of course, he's blessed of God. And uh, upon his return, two kings came out to meet Abram, and it was Melchizedek, who the Bible says was the king of Salem. Many Bible scholars believe Salem is the place that would later become the city of Jerusalem, which is interesting. The Bible also refers to Melchizedek as priest of God, king of Salem and priest of God. This is where it gets interesting. It's the first time, again, we see the word priest, or in the original Hebrew, Kohen, and it is used to describe this somewhat mysterious person, Melchizedek, because we, we don't know much about him, really. He was priest of God, and he was king of Salem. Now, the word priest in its simplest form here carries with it the idea of intervention or the idea of a mediator, okay? Priest, a mediator, an intervener, an intervention. People always seem to uh, crave someone who in their own eyes is in a better standing with God than themselves as to mediate for them. The all-powerful God is, is just too holy to approach Themselves, so they look for someone to offer up prayers and thanksgiving and even sacrifices on their behalf as their representative to God. A priest would act as a mediator between man and God, and more specifically, from man unto God. You follow me so far? That's what the word priest means, and people crave that. And the idea that, that, that people wanting a mediator, uh, that's not really new to us. I, I mean, think about it for a second. Back in grade school, how many went to grade school? How many failed? Oh, none of you. Good job. Back in grade school, you might remember when a boy or a girl uh, liked you or you liked them. Or Many times it would go this way. The, the boy would like the girl, and the boy would ask her best friend to talk to her about him. A mediator. We don't think of that in terms of priest, Hey, will you be my priest and ask that girl out for me if you, you know, we don't think about it that way. And, and of course, it happened with girls too. They would ask their best friend to ask the boy or even ask the boy's best friend to ask the boy if he liked her best friend and it gets all confusing and blah, blah, blah. We like that mediator thing. And there's always that one kid in the family who seems to ask the parents on behalf of himself or herself and for the, all the kids in the family, Right? You, you go ask mom and dad this, right? You, you get better results. You be our mediator. And there's that person at work that seems to be the designated one to ask the boss on behalf of all the employees. Even in our legal systems, we have built this into the process. And in our religious circles, we have it. I was raised in a church that depended on the priest to mediate to God on my behalf. I literally confessed my sins to him so that they could be forgiven. There's this like thing inside of us that likes the idea of a mediator, especially in our relationship with God. We want somebody to do the, the, the dirty work for us. Hold on to that thought. Melchizedek is said to have been a priest. Understand that Abram and Sarai hadn't had their first child yet. I've already said that. Isaac, who would eventually have Jacob whose name would be changed by God to Israel and would become the father of 12 sons who would become the 12 tribes of Israel. And so that's kind of a family tree. There's the the 12 tribes right there. This is the family tree. But none of that had happened. In fact, I'll even go even further. Joseph, you see, is one of the, the, the 12 sons. That was Israel, or Jacob's favorite son, who was sold by his brothers and would later save his family from famine as he won favor with the Egyptian pharaoh. And fearful of this nation of Israelites living in his land, the new pharaoh, years and years later, after Joseph, the Israelites began to grow in number, and years later, this pharaoh grew fearful, and so he 
enslaved the Israelites for 400 years. And this is when Moses comes on the scene and eventually leads them to freedom. That's when the law is given to Moses and with the law came the priests and their duties. So, so none of that had happened yet. Melchizedek is before all of this and he is, he, he, he is not a Jew. He wasn't a Jew. He wasn't of Hebrew descent. He is a Canaanite king who is living before the gods or living before God's promises to Abraham are fulfilled. And he, Melchizedek, was specifically named as a mediator between man and God. He is a priest of God, the word of, the word of God says, the Bible says. It's an interesting thing to think about. He's also an example of a godly man who is not part of the Jewish nation. And this is to say that it has always been possible, I want you to hear this, it has always been possible for people of any nation, any race, or background, did you hear what I said? Nation, race, or background, it is possible for any of those people to find, to respond to, to obey, and have a right relationship with God. End of story. We're having a missions convention next week. If you don't think it's worth giving somebody money to go into uh, Middle Eastern countries and into Africa, into all the nations of the world, and share the gospel, do you think that you have a right to the gospel more than they do? Because you don't. I love this story, and when you get into it, you realize this guy wasn't a Jew. It was way before the time of the, the Levitical priesthood, the, the, before it was set up through Moses, the, the Mosaic law, and, and here he is. God says he's a priest of God, king of Salem. Back to Genesis 14, Abram is met by these two kings coming back from defeating the five, right? He's met by two kings. Or, I'm sorry, who had defeated the four kings who had, yeah, plundered the five, right? One of which was king of Sodom. The other was Melchizedek, who brought with him a royal meal of bread and wine, it says. And he blessed Abram. Genesis 14, 19b says this. This is Melchizedek blessing Abram. Blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed, blessed, be, uh, blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Abram partook of the bread and the wine and then paid Melchizedek a tenth or a tithe of everything he had plundered from the four kings he defeated. So, you have four kings beat five kings, took Abram's nephew with him and the people and all their treasures, these four kings. Abram hears about it, goes, defeats the four kings, gets all that plunder and all those people, and then he pays a tithe on it to Melchizedek, who was king of Salem, and it wasn't part of any of those wars, but he, 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 was, he came down to meet with, with him, and Abram pays him a tenth of everything, a tithe. And this is the first time we see a tithe or a tenth of an individual's increase being paid in Scripture. It's the first time you see it. Pretty interesting. Then the king of Sodom meets with Abram, and he says, this is what he says, give me all the people you just took from the kings that took them from me. You can have the material stuff, but I want the people back. No humility. There's nothing about, hey, thank you for getting those people back. Can I have my people back? Nothing like that. There's no bread and wine involved. There's no gift involved. There's no, I'm going to bless you. The king of Sodom was notoriously an evil king. And he says, give me my people back. Those kings robbed him from me, and now you took, them from the, you took him from those kings, and I want him back. And this is what Abram says. You can have the material stuff, or I'm sorry, you can have the people, but you can have all the material stuff too. I don't want to be associated with anything that's yours. I don't want to have it ever be said that you, an evil king, made me wealthy in any way at all. I want my wealth to be because of the glory of God, not because you, evil king, have provided with me, me with it somehow. It's also interesting to know that these two kings, Melchizedek, king of Salem, and Bera, king of Sodom, couldn't have been more different. You see that they're different in their approach. But Sodom means scorching or burning. 
scorching or burning. You can write that down. Salem means peace. So you had king of burning and king of peace coming out to meet with Abram. It's almost like heaven and hell are meeting Abram here, if you think about it. Very opposite. And I referred to Melchizedek as a mysterious person a little bit ago. Uh, we don't know much more than just that, than what I just told you. But centuries later, when God gave Moses the law and established the Levitical priesthood through Moses' brother, Aaron, who was a Levite, so one of the 12 tribes, Levi, a Levite because he descended from the tribe of Levi, right? He was one of the 12 sons of Israel, the Levitical priesthood was passed down from generation to generation through Aaron, the Levite. The Levitical line, and even more specific, the family of Aaron, which was only one family in the ancestral line of Levi. So just because you were a Levite didn't mean you were in line with the priesthood of Aaron. Aaron was just one family in the Levite lineage. It was passed down, this priesthood, from Aaron to Aaron's sons, and then so on and so forth. For centuries, the priesthood was a birthright. You had to be in the family of Aaron and in the lineage of Levi in order to be a priest. So here's the important part, and I know it's a lot of stuff, but follow me today. The word of God never says how the priesthood was passed down to Melchizedek. He was born before all of the Levitical priesthood. It never passed to him from someone else. And he never passed it down to anyone else either. You read this phrase many times in last week's reading, in the order of Melchizedek. How many read that this last week and wondered, what in the heck does that mean? That's what I'm getting to today. What does that mean? In the order of Melchizedek. And you'll read it again in the chapters to come, in the order of Melchizedek. When the writer of Hebrews uses this phrase, he's speaking of Melchizedek as a biblical type of Christ. Okay, a biblical type, meaning he's a picture of Jesus, a symbolic example of Jesus. Just as Melchizedek's priesthood had no source in man, it never was passed down or inherited, Jesus, as our high priest, did not inherit it from man. Melchizedek never handed it down to anyone else either, and so it is with Christ. The priesthood of Jesus never ended. He is and he will always be our high priest, our mediator, the one who intervenes on our behalf. And it doesn't just go one way with him as our high priest, as maybe priests did in the past. He's not merely our mediator from us to God. He's also our mediator from God to us. And this makes Jesus greater than any priest or priesthood that has ever existed. He is our personal mediator from man to God and God to man. He is the only mediator or priest that you are ever going to need. None can be greater. Why is that important? Because we like that mediator thing, don't we? We like it. And Jesus says, that's okay that you like it because I'm him. You don't need to confess your sins to a priest, per se. And we know that people, when they do that, they feel better because their conscience is clear, right? When we confess our sins to one another, that's a good thing. The Bible talks about that. But for forgiveness of sins, you only need to confess them to him. He is your priest, your high priest, greater than any priest that's ever walked the face of the earth. He's in the order of Melchizedek because he never really had it inherited to him and he never gave it to anybody else. He's still it. He's still it. Notice that in Genesis that Melchizedek brought bread and wine to Abram when he met with him. Sounds a little bit like communion, doesn't it? Centuries before even the Passover happened. That's what our high priest Jesus does as well. His body, the bread, was broken and his blood, the wine, was shed. We are partakers of that bread and wine when we accept Jesus as our Savior and put him in place 
in our lives as our high priest. Also notice that Melchizedek is not only priest of God, he's also king of Salem, king of peace. So he was both king and priest, as is Jesus, king and priest. Are you getting something out of this this morning? He is the king of all kings, and he is our high priest, the one who sits on the throne of our hearts and mediates unto God on our behalf. Do you understand that when we worship, let me just break this down and make this practical for you this morning. When we enter into a time of worship on Sunday mornings and we don't really feel like it, we're like, you know, it's been kind of a crazy morning. I, you know, I, I don't want to sing too loud. I had an omelet in the bistro and I might burp and that would be gross. And I, I mean, all this stuff, right? We just don't, we just don't get into it sometimes. I, I understand that. We're not in the mood. Well, you know, l- let me be really frank like the writer of Hebrews. I don't give a hoot and heck if you're in the mood or not he deserves your praise he deserves it he's your high priest he's your mediator he sits on the throne and prays for you and intercedes on your behalf he is your high priest he is your connection to god he is the only way that you're going to get there and he's doing it all the time all the time and we're like well i would raise my hand but i really don't feel like it this morning Man, this place should bust out in praise every time we have the chance. We should lift the roof off with our worship because we're so passionate about it, because our God is our high priest. Jesus Christ is our high priest. He's our mediator. Why wouldn't we worship him with everything within our being? Because you ain't nothing without him. And there's no heaven without him. Oof. I think I need a hanky or something there. <laughs> Hebrews 5, 1 through 6 says this. In light of all that that I just said, for every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. He can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided since he himself also is beset with weakness. What he's saying is every every priest that's ever existed has their own weaknesses because they're human. And because of it, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for sin as the people, so also for himself. He, He has to make sacrifices for himself. And no one takes the honor to himself but receives it when he is called by God, even as Aaron was. And he's not putting down the priesthood in any way at all here. He's just stating the facts. So also, Christ did not glorify himself so as to become a high priest. He didn't put himself there. But he who said to him, you are my son, that's God the Father, today I've begotten you, just as he says also in another passage, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. God placed him in that position of high priest Hebrews 5, 9, and having been made perfect, speaking of Jesus, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. I I, got to say this. We always fall into this trap of trying to be good people. I think Pastor Jared mentioned it in his prayer this morning. So many people just, they come week after week and year after year goes by and, and, and I, I don't know, I don't think it's really normal for a pastor to get to stay in a church as long as I have and I thank you for that because I know I've made plenty of mistakes and I know there's probably reason to throw me out sometimes. But you guys have just been an amazing church and it's been amazing, it's been an amazing 18 years. I've grown so much because of so many of you. And, and I'm, not, I'm not asking for a hand clap there. I'm just saying, I, I, being here that long, you also see stuff. You see people who don't change for a decade. You know, it's, it's nice when your pastor's only here for two, three years because you can put on that new, fresh face for the new pastor. But when a guy's been around 18 years, he knows what you did 15 years ago. Trust me, I don't remember all that stuff. I try not to. I've forgotten more than I care to <laughs> You know what I'm saying? But it's interesting how in a church, a decade can go by and there's people, and I'm guilty of this too. We can go a decade without 
changing one iota. We can go years holding on to unforgiveness, holding on to a, a, a little bitter root that just traps us and enslaves us and we keep going to the altar for other things and the real reason is that bitter root. I just can't do this. I'm, I'm addicted, I'm addicted, I'm addicted, I'm addicted. Well, God's delivered you. He can't do any more for you than he's already done. What you need to do is fall in love with Jesus so much that you hate that sin. It's not about your willpower. It's not about, I've got to try harder. It's not about any of that. It's about falling head over heels, absolutely in love with Jesus Christ. It's about having this unbelievable intimacy with him. And men don't like that word intimacy. Seems kind of girly, Pastor Barry. Not when it comes to my Jesus. Immediately after the writer of Hebrews um, says in Hebrews 5, 9, uh, after the order or according to the order of Melchizedek, uh, immediately we see him do something that he does in previous chapters. He goes right into a warning. So here we go. Jesus is greater than, Jesus is greater than, Jesus is greater than. Here's your warning. Jesus is greater than, Jesus is greater than. Here's another warning. Jesus is greater than, Jesus is greater than. And now we have another warning. And this time it's a warning about being immature as well as a bit of a reiteration of the warning about falling away or personal apostasy that we talked about last week. He says that there's a lot to say about, the, this is what he says, there's a lot to say about this whole priesthood thing, but it's hard to explain because I quote, and this is what he says, you have become dull of hearing. <laughs> I, I, I love a person who tells it like it is. By this time, he says, you should be teaching, but you need milk instead of solid food. Basically calls them spiritual babies. I mean, it's, it's, this is in your face stuff right here in Hebrews. You're babies, you should be teachers, but you're babies, so, you know, there's your bottle, go suck on it. I mean, that's pretty much what's going on here. Then he gets back into the discussion on Jesus being our high priest. It's like, is this guy, like, bipolar or something? Because it's like, boom, 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 and he's like, Jesus is our high priest. It's a very interesting book. Got to remember that these Jewish believers that the writer of Hebrews is writing to were becoming weary in their faith. Don't forget that. All the pressure and the hardship of persecution and pressure from family members who still followed the old covenant were, were taking their toll on them. It's easy to want to have a tangible mediator or a priest to go to, to God on your behalf. And a lot of these believers were probably still going to the synagogue. They were saved believers. They were Messianic Jews, if you will. But they may, have, they may have still have been even bringing sacrifices to the, to the Jewish priests that worked those synagogues. It's hard to break old habits. It's hard to change that. And they were believers, but there was still some of that dead religion hanging on. Anybody can relate to that? Now they were being told that there was no need for that anymore. This would have been completely revolutionary to them. They could rest in the assurance that with Jesus as their high priest, they were completely covered. There were none greater than he. And again, as people, we love this idea of a tangible person, someone who we can physically see and hear to be our mediator unto God. And this was their problem then and it continues to be our problem today and I was thinking about this how does that how does that play out today how many ministers today have been put up on a pedestal and revered by the people only to come crashing down when they were found to be imperfect that's my mediator that's my that's my pastor that's my minister that's that evangelist that's that that prophet I go to because they always have words of knowledge for me that's that person we put it into a person right we put them up on a pedestal and then they come crashing down. And there are ministers who place themselves in those positions as well. They, they know that Jesus is our high priest. They even preach those things, but there's something about individuals coming to them and receiving from them that starts to stroke their ego. Pride takes over and they eventually fall. Have you seen that happen? No? Nobody's ever seen that happen? It happens all the time. 
80% of pastors, and this isn't the same reason, but 80%, 80% of pastors will never retire. You know why? Because they quit before retirement. Part of that, not all of it, part of that is because they can't take the pressure of being put on a pedestal or they put themselves on a pedestal and either way they've fallen. Full-time pastors and ministers need to guard against that. But people within the church need to stop putting those leaders in that position as well. We all need to realize that Jesus is once and forever our high priest. This doesn't mean that we shouldn't have respect for ministers or spiritual leaders and, or that we don't need the church. We know we need each other, right? That, that's part of, that's part of a, 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 the deal in, the, in this church age that we live in, that, that we don't neglect the fellowship of the believers, that we hang out with one another, that we love on each other, that we worship together and we, we, we meet together regularly. But ministers and pastors should be, even though we should respect them, they should be viewed as another member of the body of Christ being obedient to what God has called them to do. I've often said that I'm no more important than the person who cleans the toilets around here because I could preach the greatest sermon in the world, but if you walked into the bathroom and they hadn't been cleaned in three years, you probably wouldn't come back. See, it starts going south when we start saying things like, that pastor is anointed. Let's all listen to him or her. That evangelist really has a flair for the prophetic. Let's go sit under their teachings. There's just a natural desire to have that tangible mediator, a priest that will do it all for you, that person who can tell you what God is saying to you, that individual who mediates on your behalf, that person that explains all the word of God to you because you're too lazy to get into it to yourself. We all have the same high priest. And don't get me wrong, I enjoy hearing good messages and good teachings as much as the next guy, but I will not sidestep my responsibility as a believer in Christ to keep Jesus, always to keep him as my high priest and to always let him be the mediator between myself and God and God back to me. That's part of the very reason we pray in Jesus' name. We are acknowledging his place as our high priest and mediator unto God. And I, I want to take a little jump here, a little, a little and I'm almost done. But, but there's other verses in the New Testament that deal with this word priest and the priesthood. And I want to go a little further into this. 1 Peter 2.9, are you still with me this morning? It's a great verse. You probably have heard it before. It says, but you are a chosen race. Not talking about being white or black or any other kind of race. A race, Christians. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellences of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Church, we are his royal fraternity of priests. He is our high priest, our ultimate mediator, but... All true and authentic believers are priests within his priesthood. Why? Because all true believers have direct access to God through him. And with that awesome privilege that we have to go to the throne room of God anytime we need to because of what he's accomplished on the cross, because we have that awesome privilege, we have an awesome responsibility that comes with it. So maybe you just need to do this. Turn to your neighbor on the left and say, Jesus is my high priest. Now turn the other way and say, I'm in his priesthood. You're in the royal fraternity of priests, of his priests, which is an awesome thing. As his priesthood, as his priests, we are obligated to live holy lives. Church is not optional. There's a huge disconnect when Christians try to claim they have freedom to live however they want without any kind of judgment from others. Let me tell you something just straight up. You don't have that right. 
You gave up your rights when you accepted Christ and you placed, them on, when you placed him on the throne of your life. For a true believer, one who is now a priest of God, things may be permissible, but because they are not always profitable for the kingdom, you resist those things and do not partake in them. Much like Abram refused to take and keep those things belonging to the king of Sodom. Priests of God, your striving should be for true holiness. I just called you priests of God. Did that feel good? How many ever wanted a title? Well, you got one. <laughs> You're a priest, a royal priesthood. Your striving should be for true holiness, not for what you can do and get away with and still be in the fraternity of priests. This involves continually offering your life as living sacrifices unto God, being obedient and refusing to live according to the patterns of this world, but making sure that in and through your relationship with Christ that you are being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Being a true believer and, and member of this royal priesthood, you have the responsibility to pray and intercede for others' needs and concerns. Intercession. Jesus is our great intercessor. He does uh, prayerful intercession intervention, if you will, on our behalf. We also, for those around us, intercede, intervene on their behalf. And this should always point them to our great high priest, Jesus, and not bring glory to ourselves. As true believers and as members of, of this royal priesthood, we have a responsibility to defend the word of God and spread the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Have you heard what I've said? You've got to be a prayer warrior for people if you're going to be a priest. You've got to be um, obedient and live a holy life if you're going to be a priest. And you've got to be a person of the word if you're going to be a priest. And as a saved person, an authentic believer in Jesus Christ, he has put, placed that on you, the responsibility of priesthood. Well, I thought I could just accept him and do whatever I wanted, and I'd, I'd have my ticket to heaven, a little fire insurance, and I'd be, I'd be good to go. You're a priest. How well are we doing in our priesthood? We have a responsibility to defend the word, to know the word, to defend it, and to spread the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to everybody we meet. And my circle of, of influence is not the same as yours. You have circles of influence and people that you can influence uh, th that I'll never even meet. It's your responsibility as priest. All of this says we have a greater response. We have greater responsibilities than most of us probably uh, have cared to meditate on or to think about. It's just easier to let those in spiritual leadership do the work. But if you're going to be partakers in this priesthood, if you're going to choose Christ as your savior, these things aren't optional for you. You can't pay the staff to do the work for you. We have work to do that is not your work to do, but we don't, we're not here to do the work for you. Can someone say amen? It's not my job. My job is to equip you to do the work, not to do it for you. That's just wanting the earthly priest, a tangible person, someone to mediate. And you don't need that because you got Jesus Christ as your great mediator and high priest. You see how this is coming together? You following me this morning? Being a priest and being in that fraternity of royal priesthood, it obligates you to become part of that priesthood, taking on the responsibilities that come with it. You can't enjoy the benefits of salvation and the perks of being a part of this royal priesthood without living up to the ensuing responsibilities of that priesthood. And again, I feel compelled to say this. I, I'm not talking about a works-based salvation or relationship with Christ. I'm saying that the measure of your love of God or for God, your authentic faith in him is always displayed in how you live. It's factual. You can't say you love God and that you have a relationship with him when you pay no regard to living holy before him. You can't be a liar and authentically serve the author of all that is true. Are you hearing me? 
You can't do that. You, you can't live and feed your mind with impure thoughts and fantasies while claiming to have given your heart to the one who purifies us from all unrighteousness. At some point, it doesn't work. It doesn't click. Some people say, well, I don't, I, do I, am I not saved then? Is that my problem? No, you just have a love problem. You need to fall in love with Jesus deeper in a, in a, in, in a more real way, and that requires time. That requires sitting in his presence, reading his word, talking to him every day, entering into praise and worship. Someone said, well, what do you do when you just don't feel like it? You just don't feel like worshiping. I've already kind of talked about this, but let me say this about that. You do it anyway with your body and your voice and your actions, and maybe your body will then, or your, 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 uh, your, uh, your spirit will catch up with it. Your soul, that's really the part of you, I don't feel like it, that's your soul, right? Well, your spirit says, body, I'm gonna do it anyway. And then when your body starts entering in, all of a sudden your soul kind of comes along for the ride. That part of you that's your mind, will, and emotions. You can't be a person of the presence of God when you refuse to engage in a relationship with him. You can't be a person who neglects the only truly tangible thing we have as Jesus himself, the word of God, the Bible, and then claim to be his follower. You just can't do it. And it should be a little convicting because I, I, I never met anyone who lives up to the standard that God has set for us as a royal priesthood. I've never met anybody who, who really truly lives up to all of it. But it's not about perfection. God's not looking for perfection in all this. He just wants you to strive for it. And church, I, I hope you understand more deeply than you, than, than you did when you walked in here the meaning of the reoccurring phrase in the order of Melchizedek. We won't know the full meaning probably in the depth of that phrase until heaven, I suppose. But I also hope you understand that what the author of Hebrews is saying when he declares Jesus as your personal high priest, that he is greater than all the priests before him, that we all have access to the Father because of him. He is our mediator and we come to the Father through Jesus. He makes us members of that royal fraternity of priests. We are a royal priesthood. We have access to the Father anytime we want through him. And I wanna end with this last verse this morning. Hebrews 7, 22 through 24. All this discussion about priests and the order of Melchizedek, this is how he kind of sums it up. He says, this makes Jesus the guarantor the garant, <laughs> of a better covenant. He guarantees a better covenant. It makes him a guarantor of that better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented, but because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. You know, when things are getting rough and it's feeling tough, feel like nobody's there, you need to remember that Jesus is interceding on your behalf as your high priest. And then you need to go to him and put your cares and your burdens upon him. I want to pray this morning. If you'd bow your heads and close your eyes. Lord, we come before you today and we just, your word just, it's just amazing. The truth that's in there is just never ending. And I, God, I, I admit to you, as I was studying and I was praying and reading through all the, the Hebrews and all that you say about this priesthood, this, this high priest of, of Jesus and, and, and our priesthood even. God, that I haven't lived up to the mark. Not as... I'm not talking about being pastor for myself. I'm just talking about being a priest, a, a member of that royal fraternity of priests within your priesthood, God. Lord, and I ask you to, uh, 
Change me from the inside out. Give me a passion like never before to spend time with you and love you. Change me from the inside out, God. I don't want to be like I, I don't want my love to grow cold. Like maybe it was starting to for these Hebrews. I want to be on fire for you. Decided, completely decided. Maybe you've never made Jesus your high priest. You never thought of him that way. You never thought that he was really anybody doing anything for you anymore. It's just, and maybe this morning you're going, you know, I, I need that. I need someone to mediate on my behalf because I am unholy. I, I, I have a hard time approaching God. You can approach him because of Jesus. I'm here to tell you this this morning. But you have to accept his gift. And if that's you and you want to, you want to uh, ask Jesus into your heart for the first time, would you just lift up your hand and say, yeah, that's me. I, I need to ask him in my heart. Or maybe you've done that before and you need to rededicate because you've drifted away. If that's you, lift up your hand. Okay, see that hand? See that hand? See that one? See that one? Hallelujah, that's, that's awesome. I see that one up there. That's awesome. You know, the Bible says when anyone makes that decision to turn from their sin and, and, and go towards God, that all of heaven rejoices. There's a party in heaven because you're making a decision right now, right now, to leave that life behind and to walk in the love of God. It's an adventure. It's the greatest decision you'll ever make, as so many people in this room can attest to. But let me lead you in a prayer. And would everybody pray with me this morning? Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. Forgive me of my sins. Be my high priest. I accept the gift on the cross. Your shed blood and your broken body. As forgiveness for my sins. I choose you today. I'm yours. In Jesus' name, amen. That's just a prayer from the heart. If you pray that prayer from the heart, that's the beginning. Then there's follow through. Follow through is fun because you get to open the word of God every day. You get to read in it. You get to talk to maybe someone who brought you here. You can make an appointment with one of the pastors here and talk further about it. You, you, you can jump into praying. Prayer, you know, if, you, if you've never prayed before, prayer is just talking to God just like you would anybody else. But congratulations for those of you that made Jesus your Savior. Let's give them a hand today. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.